this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of FE Church, and this is our podcast. All right, so holy ground. Holy ground. We have uh, been in this series. This is our third week now. It's a series I've looked forward to for a long time. A couple of years ago, I really went back to the very beginning of the story of Moses. This is Old Testament stuff, right? Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. His story spans many large, meaty books. It's actually a tough one to get through, but I really wanted to study it his whole life, beginning to end, fully understand him. He's probably the the Bible character that we really get the most about his life, so much detail. And so I went back to the beginning, And I started reading in Exodus 1, and there's so much to be said about the conversation at the burning bush. I mean, we spent the past two weeks in it, but I could probably preach another month just on that conversation. When when God is, is actually speaking in Scripture, it's important that we perk up a little bit, that we listen and understand. So much of Scripture is about the relationship between God and people. But when he's actually speaking, his actual words, you want to pay attention. God is a God of intentionality, right? When he speaks, he's saying something. And so we listen carefully. We pay attention to the words that he uses, how he phrases things. And then we have to ask ourselves, why? And dismantle it, figure it out, to comprehend fully everything that it has for us. And so Exodus 1, Exodus 2, Exodus 3, they're all about Moses's beginning of his life, right? It, it actually spans 80 years, but we only get a couple of chapters there. We, we read all about his birth, right? And, and how miraculous it was that he survived when so many of his generation in Egypt didn't. And then we read about how he grew up in Pharaoh's household and how he murdered somebody and had to escape and run to the wilderness. And then his 40 years there in the wilderness ended by the burning bush. This conversation between God and Moses on holy ground, where God says, Moses, take off your sandals. You're standing on holy ground. And so I read through that conversation as I'm studying this a couple of years ago. I read through that conversation, and then I get to chapter 4. Just to give you a little bit of background, we're only reading three verses today. But there's a lot in those three verses. And so I really want you to understand the context that this was set in. The burning bush happens. He is called powerfully, right, by a miraculous burning bush where he's standing on holy ground speaking to the heavenly father. He's called to go back to Egypt and do a job nobody wants, to confront Pharaoh and to let his people go. And so he comes out of that conversation and he goes back home and he talks to his father-in-law, who he works for and has been living with for the past 40 years. And he says, Jethro, I need to go back home to Egypt. Can I have your blessing? His father-in-law gives him his blessing, but he doesn't get the whole story. In fact, Moses only tells him that he wants to go and see if his relatives are even still alive. It's been so long. He wants to go home, visit them. So we see him... Jethro's blessing, pick his family up and head back toward Egypt. And this is where I want to read today. This is the context that we're reading this. And listen carefully. This passage totally blindsided me and confused me. Exodus 4, 
verse 24, on the way to Egypt, literally obeying God. Everything that God said at the burning bush, he is on the way, on the way to Egypt. At a place where Moses and his family had stopped for the night, the Lord confronted him and was about to kill him. Nope, you didn't miss anything. The Lord confronted him and was about to kill him. I was like, surely, God, I missed something, right? I went back. I actually read Exodus 1, 2, and 3 all over again, looking for what could possibly have happened here. Because last I checked, God was calling him into this crazy big job, and, and he was on the way, on the way to Egypt. He's on the way to being obedient, right? What happened? The Lord confronted him. And was about to kill him. I got zero answers, by the way, by rereading. If you go back and read Exodus 1 through 4, you don't get any more insight into this, but stay tuned. Verse 25 says, But Moses' wife, Zipporah, took a flint knife and circumcised her son. She touched his feet with the foreskin. The word you probably never heard, thought you would hear in church. And said, Now you are a bridegroom of blood to me. Some versions say, what a bloody husband you've turned out to be. What a bloody husband you've turned out to be. Verse 26, when she said a bridegroom of blood, she was referring to the circumcision. After that, the Lord left him alone. Anybody else a little blindsided? What just happened there? And why do we only get three verses explaining what's happening here? I mean, I, when I read this the first time, I, I sat I, was, I remember I was sitting in my bed reading the Bible, and I sat up, and I was like, what just happened? God, wh what is this? I'm, I'm, trying, I'm sitting here trying to fully understand the life of Moses. And I can't explain these three verses. What just happened? And just to sum up, right, Moses is on the way to Egypt to obey the word of the Lord. He didn't want to do it. He argued with God a whole bunch around the burning bush, said, I'm not the guy for the job right? He argued like crazy. God gave him everything he needed. He gave him signs and, you know, the staff thing turning into a snake, and he, and he gave him his brother as a helper. I mean, God worked with them. They get through all of that, gets the permission from the father-in-law. I bet he was sort of hoping he wouldn't give it, and he'd <laughs> have an excuse not to go. He gave it, and they were on their way. God shows up, is about to, I mean, that's the text. God is about to kill him. Then suddenly the wife shows up, circumcises the son, throws it on the floor at his feet, says, what a bloody husband you've turned out to be. Peace is out, and God leaves him alone. <laughs> Scripture, anybody who said the Bible is boring, it's just, they're not reading it, <laughs> okay? And so I prayed. I said, God, what is this saying? What is this saying to me? What is this saying to the church? What is happening here? Why would you show up and threaten to kill your servant when he's literally on the way to doing what you've asked him to do? And I think God gave me a few things here that I have since applied to my life, and I think applies to us as a church so well on this Father's Day. I skipped a whole bunch of conversation, by the way. I wanted to preach straight through this conversation and this Holy Ground series, but God said this is what he had for us on this Father's Day weekend. And so number one, I think God was saying through this, 
to leave the past behind. Leave the past behind. Now, let me explain. I think after studying the life of Moses, really realizing the context that Moses grew up in, that he ended up leading in, right? The the complaining people of Israel that he freed from slavery but couldn't say a kind word, right? I, I think Moses grew up a people pleaser. And I mean that in the worst possible sense of the word. I think he grew up a people pleaser. Think about it. He was in between two worlds, right? Not fully Egyptian. He was an Israelite, after all, raised in Pharaoh's household as royalty. But can you imagine living in that environment? They probably looked down on him hardcore, right? They probably completely disregarded him, had snide remarks to make every time he entered a room. I mean, he was a slave. He was from the race of people that were enslaved and oppressed. And yet he was in Pharaoh's household as the king's grandson. Not fully Egyptian, but also not fully Israelite. I mean, <clears throat> he knew his his mother growing up. We know that from scripture. He knew his brother and sister. And yet... <clears throat> He didn't have to do the work like an Israelite. He wasn't enslaved living in shacks, right? Not fully Egyptian, not fully Israelite. And probably neither group accepted him fully. I think he probably learned how to keep a secret really well from the people around him to protect himself. I think he probably learned how to speak the language of whatever culture he was in. I think he tried to fit in wherever he was and couldn't really ever find a place. I think he learned how to be a people pleaser in in the sense that I think Moses was also gifted. And I think sometimes God will gift us with certain strengths. But when used for selfish reasons, the enemy usually takes those strengths and twists them just a little bit, right? So say Moses had the gift of hospitality, It's an actual spiritual gift listed in the New Testament. And it is the gift of making people feel welcome and comfortable. I used to think it was just baking cookies and, you know, keeping the house. It's not that, actually. It's the gift of making people feel welcome. And so maybe Moses had that, but learned how to twist it a little to get what he needed. At its worst, the gift of hospitality is actually the gift of manipulation. We learn how to twist things to get what we want from people. Right? It's people-pleasing. We have to keep everybody happy to protect ourselves, to control our environment. I I know this because I'm a little guilty of it sometimes. I think I sort of grew up that way. Or I also have the gift of hospitality, so maybe it's just that. But when turned to that selfish, twisted degree, it becomes incredibly destructive. You try to keep everybody happy around you. And God had to break me of this. I think this is one of the things he was teaching me through this passage. I can't be a leader. Moses couldn't have been the leader that he was without breaking this in himself. Think about it. He went back to Pharaoh. All of the Egyptians were not happy with him. Then he peaced out with the Israelites. None of the Israelites were happy with him. He had to leave the people-pleasing nature behind. And I think this was the moment God chose to do that. I think Moses probably didn't circumcise his sons to please his wife or his father-in-law. 
I think he didn't tell Jethro where he was going because he was afraid he would disapprove or why he was going where he was going. I think he was still people-pleasing. And God said, you cannot walk into what I have called you to and continue in that path. Leave the past behind. It is better to have peace with God than peace with people. Have peace with God. Leave the past behind. And he would have to learn that to step into what God had coming for him. I don't care what God has called you to today, but he's saying the same thing to you as well. Leave the past behind. Stop the old ways, right? When you accepted Christ, you became a new creation. Why are you still hanging on to the old stuff? Step into the freedom that Jesus Christ has provided for you. Leave the past behind. Just because you are always a certain way doesn't mean you are today. In fact, that's one of the defining traits of being a believer. You get to leave the past behind. We have the conviction from the Holy Spirit. And believe me, sometimes it is a pain in the butt because it does not leave you alone. But it can also be your best friend when used properly. When you allow that conviction to spur you on to change. I think for the first time in Moses' life, he had the Holy Spirit dwelling within him. Not everybody in the Old Testament got that privilege. We do today as New Testament believers because of what Jesus did for us. But in the Old Testament, it wasn't available to everyone. At the burning bush, the Holy Spirit came on Moses, the Bible says. He had conviction, and the Lord would not let him alone. He wasn't obeying the whole way yet. God said, you have to leave the past in the past. Now, I asked my husband this weekend, because I've never preached a Father's Day message. It's always been a father preaching the Father's Day message, right? And so I asked my husband, who's literally the best father that I know, the best husband. He's acing both roles. I asked him, what would you tell our church? I actually tried to get him up here for longer with me. But uh, I said, I'll settle for just your words, your advice. So tell me, what would you tell our church as a father? What advice would you give them? And he said, and it goes so perfectly with this message, don't make excuses. Don't let your past become the thing that causes you to give in to the selfishness. Choose to be better. Your family needs you to be better. Don't make excuses about the past. You all know the story about uh, the two sons of an alcoholic father. The twins grew up in the same household, same upbringing, same everything. Uh, But one of them grew up to be an alcoholic. and, And when asked why, he said, well, my dad was an alcoholic. Right? The other one grew up to never touch the stuff. He chose to never let it pass through his lips. And when asked why, he said, well, my dad was an alcoholic. Don't let your past be the excuse to give in to selfish behavior. Let your past be the reason you choose to stay away from it. Right? Don't give in to those excuses. Choose to be better and allow Jesus to be your strength to do that. Just because you've come from a family of thieves or, I don't know, anger or abuse or or sexual sin, it doesn't mean you have to repeat that path. In fact, generational curses are way less strong than the blessings of God. Have you ever seen this in scripture? The blessings of God go through the thousandth generation, but the curses only go through three. Three. 
They're so easy to break. It's called Jesus. Apply the freedom that Jesus has given you to the curse over your life, to whatever sin has been passed down to you from your parents, your grandparents before them, and break it for your sake and for your kids. Don't allow it to be an excuse. Leave the past behind and step in to what God has for you. Now, the second piece of advice uh, that my husband wanted me to pass on to all of you as fathers goes so perfectly with my second point as well. He said, leave the past behind, don't make excuses, and put God first. It doesn't just apply to fathers. Put God first. Two fathers, though, it's so important for you to model this for your your families. Right? When God is on his right place, on the throne of your life, when you have fully surrendered to him, everything else in life will fall into place. Every other relationship will fall into its right place when you truly surrender to him. And I think God was saying this to Moses because you cannot be a good leader and only half do this. You can't put God in the second place or or the third place and think, yeah, he's close enough to the top. (laughs) It doesn't work that way. He's either first or he's last. You can only serve God or serve people. You can't have both. Peace with God or peace with people. Which is it going to be? Oftentimes he will give you peace with most of the people. Put God first. When when I first studied this passage, this was my main takeaway. I think I was in a season where I was looking at some bigger levels of leadership than I had ever taken on before and really wrestling with that. That God, how can I uh, let that people-pleasing thing go? I'm so worried about what people think all the time. How do I let that behind me? God said, put me first. It is better to have peace with him than peace with people. He said, go all in or don't go at all. Go all in or don't go at all. And I think that's what he's saying to Moses here. Go all in on your way to Egypt. Obey fully, completely. Those Israelites will tear you to pieces if you're not obeying completely. Be obedient, 100%, or do not go at all. God will use somebody else, right? He always has a plan, but he helps us grow on the way to that plan. He pushes us forward toward more obedience. There is no such thing as lukewarm in the kingdom of God. You're either moving forward or you're giving in to selfishness. It's one or the other. And I think Moses was, was moving toward the, the huge test of his faith and leadership, the, the big one, right? Uh, rarely has a leader ever gone through such a difficult calling. He had to confront an entire nation, king down. And then once the people got out of that nation, he had to deal with their complaining, <laughs> And this was the biggest test of his faith ever, and he had to be on solid footing. Go all in or don't go at all. Leaders are judged more harshly, too. Parents, your leaders as well, are judged more harshly by your kids. James 3, 1, and this is biblical, says, Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. 
doesn't say it's right or wrong. Well, maybe we shouldn't be judged more strictly. We're just humans too, but that's just how, that's human nature. It's in the word. We will be judged more strictly. And fathers, let me just speak to you for a second. Your kids are watching you. More than they are listening, they are watching. If you want them to read their Bibles, let them find you reading their Bible, your Bible. If you want them to be men and women of prayer as they grow up, model prayer. I have to just brag on my husband again for a second because you should hear my kids pray <laughs> every night before bed. <gasps> we need to pray, mama. Yes, okay, let's pray. And I hear my husband's words. It's not my own, so I'm not bragging about me. He absolutely modeled this for them. I hear them coming out of their mouths. And lately, uh, we had a cousin or, or a friend over or something, sleepover, you know, and uh, we'd lay down to bed at night, and my kids said, oh, we have to pray. And so Telly started, and she is a little spitfire, my nine-year-old, just in general, but wait till she prays, right? And so she is, you know, this is a, a how does she say it? This is a Jesus home, not a devil home, and we will have peace in this home, and, and God forgive our sins, and she's just, she's going after it, you know what I mean? And then Crew, her, her little brother, he's six, he cannot be outdone, so he has to go hard too says all those things. This is a Jesus home, not a devil. And he, he goes after it. And, and I can hear my husband's words. I mean, every time they wake up with a bad dream, he says, declare Jesus, right? You don't have to let that thing control you. You don't have to be afraid. Declare Jesus. You are in control. And he goes over it with them. And, and I hear those words coming out of their mouths. And we're at the sleepover. And the, the third kid, Telly's like, aren't you going to pray? And he goes, uh kids prayers and we you know help them through it but uh, you should hear these kids pray because they've been modeled prayer because my husband not only teaches them how to pray he does it with them he models it that is how they learn they are watching more than just listening but once your kids to worship be on the front row worshiping let them see you on the front row worshiping your heart out and they will follow suit as you grow they will too. You are setting them free by breaking those generational curses. You can't do it for you. Do it for them, for their sake. Break them. Don't allow it to continue. Another one of my husband's pieces of advice was to always remember you don't know it all. He said, it doesn't mean you can't know most of it. <laughs> it doesn't mean you can't be right most of the time. But don't Think that you know it all, because the second you do, he said, the second you think you know it all, you leave no room for God. You are no better than Pharaoh, who thought he was right, dug into his stubbornness. Nine times he said no before God finally brought destruction on his family, hardened his heart even further, and stopped the evil. You're no better than Pharaoh, hardening your heart and bringing destruction on your family. You don't know it all. And honestly, that should be freeing. You don't know it all, and you don't have to. God does put him first. Allow him to be Lord of your life. Allow his perspectives and mindsets and opinions and emotions be higher than yours. Allow them to instruct your heart. Put God first. And the third lesson I learned from this very odd passage of three little verses, and I, I know, I know it's overused, the Nike saying or whatever, but just do it. 
just do it. The third lesson I learned is to be a person of intentionality, to just discipline myself to be obedient, not leaving things to chance. Things don't happen by chance. I don't grow in my relationship with God by chance, right? I grow by being intentional. We have a part to play in this relationship with God. You cannot do it just by allowing God to handle everything. He's called you to have a part to play in this growth relationship with him. Make a plan and get it done. If God has called you to something, make a plan and get it done day by day, no matter how long it takes. If God has given you children, by the way, on this Father's Day weekend, then he has called you to be a good parent, a good father. Be intentional. Make a plan and get it done. It goes for those generational curses as well. If you know you're prone to anger, lashing out, make a plan. What is going to happen when you get too angry? Right? What are you going to do? You got to step away for a minute. You're going to take a time out, right? What are you going to do? And when you do lash out and go overboard, what happens then? By the way, apologizing, modeling, apologizing to your kids is almost more important than that, not doing the actual mistake itself. What are you going to do? Make a plan. Be intentional. My husband also said, again, to fathers, this is just a father's tidbit, don't be the guy that leaves everything to chance or leaves everything to your wife or, or is that stereotypical Hollywood, emotionally distant, couch-dwelling, lazy, sitcom dad. He always hates how Hollywood represents dads because he's like, that's not all of us, <laughs> right? Well, as men of God, you're called to be better than that. Be a partner with your spouse, right? Partner with your kids in, in life. Don't be that guy. If Moses had just obeyed God in the first place, he wouldn't have had this whole mid-chapter drama thing going on. He wouldn't have had to make his wife do his dirty work, which, by the way, she did like a total babe. Right? Anybody catch that? She handled business. Went in there, handled it, threw it at his feet. And said, what a bloody husband you've turned out to be. And God left him alone. She fixed it. But she shouldn't have had to. He should have handled it. God called him to obedience. Don't make other people do what you've been called to do. Handle it. Just do it. I think this is also why the Bible says in Romans 12, we have we each have different gifts according to the grace that God has given us. It says, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If your gift is serving, then serve. If, if it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's to give, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. All those seem like sort of self-explanatory messages. Why'd you have to include that in the Bible, God? Oh, there's a reason. Because even though God has gifted us, we don't often use those gifts. Not well. We get lazy and, I don't know, selfish, I guess. We tend to hold back and think other people should be doing that. And it's something God has called you to do. 
He's laid it on your heart. If you're looking around saying somebody else should do that around the church, maybe that's what your calling is. Maybe God's calling you to do that thing. Don't let somebody else do what you've been called to do. Take your gifts seriously. Take your calling seriously. Take your roles seriously and don't take them for granted. Not all holy ground moments are this supernatural, take off your sandals, burning bush, speaking from the heavens kind of holy moment. Some of them, instead of God calling you to something big and glorious and public and amazing, some of them are God threatening to remove you from that position. Some of them are conviction moments, challenging you to do better, be better, just obey, leave the past behind, put God first and just do it already. Because your selfishness is affecting others and God won't allow that forever. God is a graceful God, so graceful. Gives me way, way, way more chances than I deserve but he's not gonna let it go on forever because your selfishness affects others. That is how he created us. He placed us in families, placed us in community. Our selfishness flows onto other people and he can't allow it forever. He's a graceful God, but there will come a point when you just have to do it. I, I hope that Moses walked away from this encounter with God and said, I will never do that to her again. I will never do that to my wife and kids again. I will never make other people do what I've been called to do. I will never put that on them because of my laziness or pride or pain avoidance, AKA fear. I'm not gonna do it to them again. I hope he realized in that moment that he had to step up. I hope we're realizing that too. Oh, back in the Temper Temper series, back in February, we learned the things that God does get angry about. Do you remember? There's only a few of them throughout scripture that I can find. God is love, remember? Incredibly graceful, slow to get angry, incredibly patient but he does get angry as well. He's a multifaceted God. You cannot put him in a box. The things he gets angry about though often surprise me. It's things like fruitlessness, not bearing fruit, not passing your faith on to others. Fruitlessness, not serving, not being patient and kind with people. This is why Jesus flipped the tables. But it's also things like persistent, consistent, constant disobedience. Not a one-off, not a mess up or a mistake. I don't see God getting mad at those things. I see it when it's over and over and over and over. He puts a stop to it. He is a just God. Really glad he is, but I'm also incredibly glad that he's graceful with me. Leave the past behind today. 
repent, which is just saying you're sorry and not doing it again. Turn from those ways. I'm moving the right direction. It's actually incredibly easy as a believer. Incredibly easy. You don't have to do it on your own. God has given you all of the tools that you need to have the hope for the future that you want to have, to change who you are in terms of selfishness and move into vibrancy, passion, and selflessness is what we're called to be as a church. Start fresh today. Walk into that. Every day is a new day. God's mercies are new every day. He wants freedom for you. He wants freedom for you. Passion is cultivated in obedience, by the way. Obedience breeds passion. Ask anybody who tithes faithfully, for example, right? If they've been doing it for years, 10%, no matter what, they give it to God. Ask them how they feel about tithing. I cannot tell you one tither that I've talked to that has a negative thing to say about it. Most of them, once you get them talking, they start coming up with all of the stories and ways that God came through for them supernaturally. They they didn't expect to pay a bill. They didn't have money to get them through. Whatever it is, God met them there and they're passionate about it because obedience breeds passion. That's because God's good, so good. Because his rules for us aren't meant to oppress you punish you, keep you locked in a a funless, soulless box. They're meant to give you freedom. There's not actually that many things he has fences around in the word. Every single one of them are meant to give you freedom, not keep you bound. His promises are good, meant to give you freedom, free from sin and selfishness and shame. God, help us obey. Help us obey. Help us step into new levels of obedience. Help us hear the calling of love and hope that you've placed on our lives. Help us step towards it. Stop running. Help us leave our past behind. Stop making excuses. Help us put God in his rightful place on the throne of our lives. Help us be fully surrendered to him. God, help us just to do it, just to jump in. Help us overcome that thing that's in the back of our heads that we just don't know if we can let go of. Just don't know if I can give that up. What will my life be without it? How will I get that satisfaction? How will I fill that tank? God, help us to let it go. As you sit with your head bowed and eyes closed today, I'm going to ask you just to take a moment, have an honest conversation with God. Think about that thing that God is calling you to. My guess is most of you already have something in mind, that it didn't take you very long to think of what that thing is. God is calling you to new levels. He's always calling you to new levels of relationship with him, of leadership to others, of of servant-hearted nature to others. Always, God is always doing a new thing in your life. 
doesn't matter how far you've come, you're never gonna make it. So I'm guessing there is something God has already laid on your heart, either to let go of or to start doing. Just do it. Step into it. Maybe that conversation today is, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Accept your forgiveness. And I'm gonna leave that thing behind today. Or maybe it's a, and I'm sorry because I've known for a while what I'm supposed to do and I'm not doing it. I wanna repent today. And I wanna walk into new levels of obedience and passion with you. Or maybe today you just need a complete overhaul, right? You need a fresh start. God is calling you today to give everything to Jesus. It's what we call salvation and it has never been easier throughout human history. Since Jesus came, he offered his life as a living sacrifice. But we don't have to jump through the hoops of religion anymore. We just claim the name of Jesus who shed his blood on the cross for us. We claim it, we say, God, thank you for sending your son. I accept his forgiveness in my life and I'm choosing to live his way from today forward. It's that simple. God wants to forgive your sins. He wants to call you home. He wants to give you a fresh start to let you move forward in freedom and hope again. He wants to shower his love and his blessings on you. Pray that prayer with us today. If you did and you're sitting in this room, we would love to help you with that decision. We'd love to give you all the resources. Uh, it's, it's a brand new life with Jesus. We'd love to help you with that as much as we can. You can go to fv.church slash I am in, or if you're watching online at home, you can type in the comments, I'm in. We'd love to give you those resources, let you know how to have a relationship with Jesus. Get a fresh start. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church slash I am in. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links. Before we leave today, we want to sing one more song together. And this is a song that's not so much a worship song that is from us to God. If this is a song that is a blessing over you. And on this Father's Day, it couldn't be more appropriate because it's a blessing over you and your children and your children's children. And it is straight from Scripture. We're going to sing it together today and claim it over our lives as we move forward, leaving the past behind, having those conversations on holy ground with God, allowing Him to change us from the inside out. Let's sing together today.
it's been good to be here again, to worship together again, and I want to encourage you. On this Father's Day weekend, regardless of the way things are on earth, the way things were at any point in your life, you have a Father who wants good for you. You have a Father who is for you. He is with you. Follow Him and look to Him. We're going to continue celebrating together. We've got our family ministries happening this week on Wednesday night. In the lobby, we're going to be playing some rock, paper, scissors. Hang out with us and have a good time. Win yourself a, a, a Father's Day gift. And let's seal this time of worship. Let's remember this time. Don't forget, you can drop off your connection cards and the, any tithes or offerings you might have in the buckets as you go. Let's pray before we go from here. Heavenly Father, we love you. We celebrate you. And we honor you here today. You're looking down on your children beaming with pride. We love you, God. I thank you for this time of worship, this word and reminder and call. I ask that as we move forward from this place, we would not lose sight of you until we see each other again. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for worshiping at V Church.